The following podcast is taken from a live broadcast on Inspire FM. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Ask Your Lawyer show. My name is Esther Olasahinde from Liberty Law Solicitors, and I'll be your host for tonight. With me, I have Dean Garrett of Liberty Law Solicitors, who will be joining me to discuss the topic of unfair dismissal and bringing a claim to the tribunal. Thank you, Dean, for coming. Good evening, listeners. Okay, so um, this is going to be an open discussion. So if you guys have any questions, any queries, just give us a call. You can give us a call on 01582 481 822 or WhatsApp message on 0779481822. We're also live on Facebook and it will also be on the Facebook page afterwards. Um, so feel free to have a listen after in your own time. Okay, so topic is unfair dismissal. Dean, what exactly is unfair dismissal? It's the Employment, right, um, Employment Rights Act 1996 mm -hmm. gives employees a right against unfair dismissal okay. and what that essentially is is that providing the employee has two years employment mm -hmm. if he believes he has been unfairly dismissed he's entitled to bring a claim okay. now going into what unfair dismissal means mm -hmm. provided um if a if a employer can show one of the five fair reasons for dismissal mm -hmm. Um, it, reasons for the, the employee's reasons, dismissal, yeah. then that's going to become a fair dismissal, okay. and it's for the it's for the employer employer to show that it's a fair dismissal. So, is the burden of proof on the employee or the employer? It's on the employer. Okay. So, what are those five um, reasons? So, the five reasons are the first one is capability. Okay. Or performance. So an example of that would be timekeeping. Okay. Um, the second one is misconduct or conduct. Okay. And that can be minor, um, such as behaviour at work, mm. or gross misconduct, which would be somewhere along the lines of theft. Okay. You would then have redundancy, um, and that's when an employer is looking to downsize its number of employees. Mm. And then you have statutory Ill illegality. Which okay. is when it becomes illegal for you to remain in employment. Uh, a classic example would be if you were a lorry driver hmm. and you lost your driving license, then you, you would not be able to continue, continue in that role. Okay. And then the fifth and final one is known as some other substantial reason. Hmm. And that's a sort of a catch-all. Yeah, it's quite vague. So. It is vague. And it's, it's therefore any other reason for your dismissal that doesn't quite fit under any of the above headings mm -hmm. so an example of that could be let's say a clash of personalities okay. in a business mm -hmm. that could be um, a business strategy or you know it's really open to the employer to justify it mm -hmm. why it comes under some other st substantial reason mm -hmm. okay just moving back to um misconduct because that's one of the issues we see uh, coming into you know, our firm that we deal with. Um, how does the, not the burden of proof, but does there have to be unreasonable, not unreasonable, does there have to be any sort of doubt that the conduct happened? There does have to be any real belief that the misconduct actually took place? So unlike wrongful dismissal, which we will come on to, mm -hmm. unfair dismissal, a tribunal isn't actually concerned with whether you committed that act of gross misconduct or misconduct. Mm -hmm. What they're concerned is whether the, the employer had a genuine belief that the employee committed that act of gross misconduct or oh, misconduct. Okay. So it's all about whether the, and we'll come on to shortly what is unfair dismissal and the, and the test for it, mm -hmm. but so essentially does the company have, or employer have a genuine belief and right. can that genuine belief be supported by genuine grounds? Okay, and does evidence have to come into it? I mean, we'll talk about the process. Yeah. so genuine grounds would be the evidence that gives the suspicion of for that genuine belief. Okay, so I know you made mention about um, taking into consideration the test. I believe there's case law for that. Yeah, um, so the case law uh, goes back to 1978. It's okay. Birchall versus British Home Stores. Okay. Um, and maybe it'd be best if I explain the case mm. and give you a bit of facts. Background, yeah. Background, and then we can explain what the test came. Okay. So the employee, Miss 
Birchall at mm-hmm. the time, uh, was accused of selling sunglasses for six ninety nine. Okay. Now, these were modern sunglasses and quite desirable, mm-hmm. the ones that turned darker in the sun. Yeah. Um, and she sold it to a colleague um, who's known as Miss L in the case. Mm-hmm. And she sold it for six ninety nine as opposed to its correct price, which was much higher. Mm-hmm. Now, when the company, BHS, um, looked into it, they alleged that there was collusion Okay. Um, between Miss L and Miss Birchall. So they kind of maybe secretly came together and said, sell it to me for this price behind their back. Yeah, okay. sell this product for a lower price. Mm-hmm. And what transpired was Miss Birchall was dismissed. Okay. Now, the case looked at the procedure mm. that the company went, for, uh, went through. And they found that uh, Miss L was never cross-examined or uh, questioned mm-hmm. and Miss Birchall was never given an opportunity to respond. Mm. So the tribunal from that developed the p- principles, mm-hmm. and I'll take you through those principles now. Okay. And it's all to do with fairness. And yeah. so the f- first one principle was is there a genuine belief that the company has? So in this case, British Home Store has to show that there's a genuine belief that they believe th- an act of misconduct occurred, mm-hmm. i.e., collusion. Okay. Secondly, they have to have um, reasonable grounds mm-hmm. to support um, that act of belief that a misconduct had happened. Yeah. And finally, they have to prove, the third one, is that they conducted a uh, fair investigation. Mm, which so, you get on to, yeah. So, i.e., in this instance, they failed to question or give a right of opportunity mm. to Miss Birch or Miss L. Mm-hmm. And that's those, those are the three prongs to the virtual test. Okay. Now, often um, you'll hear of the fourth one and people mm-hmm. get it mixed up with virtual, but it actually came later. Mm-hmm. And that was, did the company act within a band of reasonable responses? Okay. And what I mean by that is, in the decision to dismiss an employee, mm-hmm. was that des- decision to dismiss as a sanction, an appropriate sanction? Mm. So to give an example... If I turned up to work five minutes late, yeah. but consistently I'm on time, mm-hmm. you would naturally say, for that one one mishap, mm. I shouldn't. The, the appropriate sanction shouldn't be dismissal, yeah. maybe a warning. Mm-hmm. So they will look at your work record, look at um, the significance or, or the um, the allegations against you, and look at how severe it is, mm-hmm. and look to see whether the uh, sanction actually ties in with it. Okay, so. Coming from that, when, let's say, the issue is the employer's, employee's conduct, I know there's something called a pokey reduction. I believe that's when there's some sort of, not discount, but a reduction made due to the employee contributing to their dismissal. How does that work out? Okay. So, let's say, for example that the company had a genuine belief and that genuine belief for the misconduct Mm -hmm. existed Mm -hmm. but they failed to follow a fair procedure now if the outcome was to remain the same whether they followed a fair procedure or not the the end result would be a dismissal Mm -hmm. the tribunal is entitled to say well you contributed to your own demise you contributed for your actions Mm -hmm. you're not completely at not at fault Yes, we agree that Mm. a fair procedure was not followed, but ultimately you would have been dismissed. So the tribunal's entitled to make a reduction Mm -hmm. to say that you've contributed to your own ends. Okay. And that that deduction can be made up to 100%. So you win, but you win nothing. Yes, that can be a situation. (laughs) Or, you know, tribunals will determine this, you know, how much you contributed. Okay. So you mentioned earlier that you have to have two years service is there any sort of leeway there's not is there not for unfair dismissal Mm. if you were one week shy of your two years employment Mm -hmm. or you can look at your notice provisions yeah and you could say with my notice i would have had two years two years Mm -hmm. but that's something that you would we would have to look at Mm. if we were to take on a case and, and, and assess your time limits but there are there's that exception that you can use your notice period towards the two-year service. Mm -hmm. Um, And 
the other exceptions to it is if you suffered a detriment, for example, at work, and that detriment was you were dismissed yeah. and you were under two years, but you could argue it was for uh, it was based on discrimination, mm, which we'll we, get on to. Yeah. Then you could bring a claim mm -hmm. for discrimination as opposed to unfair dismissal. Okay. Um, so we, you've given some scenarios of because when we spoke earlier, you know, preparing for the show, um, I said for me personally, the way I look at unfair dismissals, there's almost like two sides. So either um, the it's more onerous on the employee or more onerous on the um, employer. So for instance, if there's an employer employee fights at work, um, it's understandable. Um, that they would be brought in for a disciplinary hearing whereas if it's a, maybe a smaller act or one of the other reasons like capability and then the um, employer doesn't follow the right process so is there an instance where a matter can be automatically unfair is that just in, in particular to the procedure no there are auto uh, automatic unfair reasons for dismissal Okay. So, and there's a list and a guidance put out for what constitutes un automatic unfair reasons. Mm -hmm. um, for example, uh, to be dismissed because of maternity, mm. that would be an automatic reason. Mm -hmm. um, and another example would be. Um, gone blank i've gone blank now no yes. problem that's fine let's move on but there's a there's a list of automatic reasons mm -hmm. out there um they're not very common mm -hmm. and you don't often come across it yeah uh, be mainly because employers are now aware mm -hmm. and you know it's, i haven't really come across too many automatic reasons yeah okay i mean thinking of the cases we get um at liberty law or in general that we come across um a lot of the time it's uh, someone that's maybe jumping the gun so they've not actually been dismissed but they've maybe been um, had some disciplinary disciplinary actions or they've been suspended and they call up panicking you know explaining the whole issue and they do have more than two years so of course we can assist them on that matter um, and they're worried about the procedure um, the, the suspension suspension procedure and the investigation and the disciplinary procedure what exactly should they be looking out for okay so each company may have their own set of uh, investigation disciplinary and grievance procedures mm. but the standard that every company should adopt mm -hmm. and it's not legislation but it's a guidance that the tribunals will look at yeah. is called the ACAS codes of practice now, the ACAS codes of practice is freely available to all employers and employees on the internet. Mm -hmm. And I would encourage that the guide is very short and is worth a read yeah. just to understand the principles. Mm -hmm. But in essence, ACAS codes of practice looks at, looks at stage one, mm -hmm. which is the investigation. Mm -hmm. So here they are telling the employer that before you make a decision, um, to discipline, mm -hmm. you have to give the um, investigate the matter mm. to work out whether the allegations, suspicions, or the grounds we would call for having that suspected belief mm. exist. Mm -hmm. And they also have to give the employee an opportunity. Yeah. And often at an investigation, it should be impartial and open. Mm. And it's it's to rule out having to go forward to a disciplinary mm -hmm. okay and it's only after a fair and thorough investigation is conducted will you then have a uh, a basis of where the company can decide whether it merits going on to a disciplinary mm -hmm. so that's often the first stage yeah um maybe some practical tips about investigations mm. often you have employees uh, coming to say i was given no notice about the investigation they just told me there and then at work and invited me into a meeting. Mm -hmm. An employer is entitled to do that. Yeah. He's not entitled to, he's entitled to, or she, as the company, is entitled to call you upon uh, in, immediately. The purpose is, and it's a practical reason, is an investigation. Mm. If they believe evidence might be damaged or um, to de any delay mm. may hamper the investigation, they're entitled to have it there and then. Yeah. Okay. And again, equally at an investigation, you're not on, you don't have a right to be accompanied. Mm -hmm. Though often it's in the company's interest to maybe allow that right to happen. Mm. 
a lot of moving not moving forward but i just want to quickly make a point because a lot of the time we have someone calling in panicking saying can i have a solicitor with me or can you come with me i know for sure that you can have a trade union rep or a colleague but is it frowned upon to have a solicitor it's, um, it's not frowned upon the employment rights act 1996 hmm. allows for representatives uh, as either an, a colleague so a, a fellow employee hmm. or a trade union rep to attend hmm. there is no legal obligation on an employer at uh, the company to accept uh, a solicitor to be in attendance hmm. If a company or um, an employer permits it, mm-hmm. then there's no issue to have a solicitor there. But I'd be very surprised, and I've never come across a situation where mm. a company or employer has agreed to allow that to happen. Okay. And with the suspension process all the way up to maybe the last disciplinary hearing, how long is that time frame? Because sometimes it can be, you know, we've come across cases where it's quite quick. And sometimes you have people that say, I've been suspended for two months or four months. What What is that about? How? Okay. So the ACAS Code of Practice states that the investigation and disciplinary procedure mm. uh, should be actioned as soon as possible mm-hmm. and dealt with as, as quickly uh, as possible. Mm-hmm. It shouldn't be allowed to drag on. Mm-hmm. It should be dealt with uh, efficiently. Yeah. Um, often if an employee is suspended... That suspension shouldn't be seen, uh, it can, it's a risky strategy. Mm-hmm. Suspension should only be held for um, allegations that merit it. Mm, okay. So if we're talking about performance issues, timekeeping, you wouldn't necessarily say turning up to work late justifies mm. a suspension. Mm. And suspension should never be to penalise the employee. Mm-hmm. It should only be there in order to, and, and a legitimate reason would be to safeguard the employer or company. Mm-hmm. So if there was allegations of theft and a proper investigation had to take place, then it's right that the um, while that investi- investigation goes on, mm. that the employee remains suspended. Okay. But it should certainly never drag on. And that and le- later on could go towards fairness and True. and be used against the employer mm-hmm. to say that I was unfairly suspended harshly mm-hmm. um, when it was not necess- necessary. Yeah. And have you seen um, instances where a solicitor has got involved during this process to say, look, this is unfair? And how has that worked Often. out? Often um, we will be instructed to write letters on behalf of the employee as them mm-hmm. uh, to put across the views, let's say if it reached an, an appeal stage mm-hmm. or to deter them from continuing with an investigation or proceeding to a disciplinary. Mm-hmm. But certainly if uh, I've had examples where I've had employees uh, suspended without pay, okay. which is a breach of their contract. Mm-hmm. And certainly I've written to employees in the past to explain that they, you know, that's not permitted. Mm-hmm. Okay. And still on the topic of um, investigations and disciplinaries, what if an employer comes, I'm sorry, employee comes forward saying, oh, I feel like the investigation process is biased or at least the people leading? What options do they have with um, communicating with their employer? So this all goes to looking at the investigation and disciplinary process. Mm -hmm. The person who uh, conducts the investigation on behalf of the employer should Mm -hmm. be separate to the person who does the disciplinary. The reasons for that is that they shouldn't be tarnished or biased Mm -hmm. by the investigation. Mm -hmm. Certainly, if uh, the employee had any personal issues or, um, you know, a clash of personalities with one of the line managers conducting disciplinary, the employer company should think about whether to use them Mm -hmm. because of the past relationship and any perceived bias they may have. Mm -hmm. If the employee disagrees and they say, look, the same person who done the investigation is now doing the disciplinary and we have a bad history Mm. between us, then that is all going to come and become material later on when, if it went to a tribunal, the Mm -hmm. tribunal will look at whether the decision ultimately taken by the company was biased or what we sometimes phrase as a predetermined decision. Mm. Often an employee will say they wanted to remove me. Mm. Um, and this all stemmed from my line manager who I never got on with. And he started the, these false allegations mm. and he led it or was instrumental throughout. Yeah. And then we would say that that investigation wasn't impartial. Mm-hmm. It had a predetermined decision that the company was always going to reach a dismissal yeah okay 
Um, so before we end on unfair dismissal, I just want to make a point um, for any listeners in, out there. And please remember, this is um, an open program. It's for you, the listeners. So if you do want to call in, if you have any questions, do call us on 01582-481822. We're also live on Facebook or you can send a WhatsApp message on 779 <laughs> four eight one eight two two so um going back to unfair dismissal i think one thing i always ask employees or clients that come in is do you think there is an ulterior motive because yes we should focus on the five reasons but a lot of the time you're going through the five reasons and then they come out with oh my employer or a colleague of mine said this about me which we kind of say is there any sort of inclination for discrimination i know this topic isn't on discrimination and we have touched on this topic before so um that should be on the facebook page and on the website if you would like to have a listen but just to make a point out there that discrimination can also be a major part and something lurking in the background and, and, and certainly as solicitors, it's our, our jobs mm-hmm. um, to look and do a full assessment of any potential heads of claim. Mm-hmm. And certainly um, if an employee feels that there is an ulterior motive, mm-hmm. that's something that should be explored yeah. um, and taken into great detail. Mm-hmm. I think before, because I know the break is coming up shortly, that mm-hmm. I, I just wouldn't mind answering a little bit about disciplinary hearings and Go the stages have, of the appeal. We have a few minutes. Go ahead. So once we've moved upon the investigation, we mm-hmm. would then go proceed with the disciplinary hearing. Okay. At the disciplinary hearing, again, the company will put the allegations from the investigation mm-hmm. and its findings to the employee. Mm. Uh, the standard practice would be that they are given notice of when the disciplinary is going to happen, mm-hmm. who is going to conduct the disciplinary, yeah. and to give them ample opportunity to prepare for the hearing. Mm-hmm. So if there's been evidence gathered, they should be provided that investigation pack. Mm-hmm. They should also be given, again, the right, this time, they have a right for a representative to attend, which we previously just discussed. Mm-hmm. And at the end of that disciplinary hearing, the company can then look at the representations made by an employee okay. um, and come to a decision. Mm-hmm. And it's that decision which is will be the focus of whether it's unfair or fair. Mm-hmm. So did they listen to the employee's representations? Yeah. Was the meeting, the minutes, a fair representation of what actually took place? Really important, yeah. That is, re- when it comes, uh, listeners, uh, one piece of advice, when it comes to minutes, do take your cut time to read after a meeting, mm-hmm. the minutes. Often employees will feel under pressure to sign immediately. Yeah. But don't. I often say... Take five, ten minutes, ask the employer, can I have ten minutes to go through this in my own time? Mm -hmm. Or can you email me the minutes and can I read it in my own time and I will sign it and send back to you? Mm. If there's anything in the minutes that you disagree with, you don't cross it out. You just mark it Mm -hmm. and you put how you believe. Amendments, yeah. It came across in the meeting, mm-hmm. your amendments. And that will become material if, if you believe there is perceived bias yeah. and that the note taker hasn't reflected exactly what has happened in the meeting. Mm-hmm. And that's a real important tip there if you're going through this process. Mm-hmm. So an employer, oh, I forgot where I was, but the employer will mm-hmm. list its reasons and looking at the evidence. Mm-hmm. And they will also consider the employee's track record. And okay. this is where we've linked it back to um, was the the decision ultimately the final decision of dismissal was mm-hmm. that a, within the band of a reasonable response mm-hmm. so was that a, the reasonable outcome to come to mm-hmm. if the employee is unhappy with that they have the right to appeal and that's mm-hmm. part of the ACAS code of practice now so, sorry they can appeal the, the decision disciplinary, dis- disciplinary decision yes is that in regards to dismissal or prior uh, they can appeal the decision irregardless of whether it's a dismissal or any other reason. So if it's a final written warning, they Mm -hmm. have the right to appeal that, to say, I believe that sanction is too harsh. Mm -hmm. But if it was dismissal, they have the right to appeal Mm -hmm. against the decision. Okay. Often what I will see, and this is another tip, Mm. um, practical tip here, is we will often get clients contact us and we'll ask them what stage they're at. Mm. And they'll say, we're still at the appeal stage. And the company is dragging their feet. The mm-hmm. employer, it's been f- almost two months. And mm-hmm. when I hear that, I, 
I panic for the uh, for my, you know for the new client who's yeah. contacted me, because your time limit doesn't run from when the appeal has been exhausted; mm. it runs from the effective date of termination. So when you receive that confirmation mm. from the disciplinary that mm. you have been dismissed, mm. that is your time limit. If your employer has taken more than three months to get around to doing the appeal, you're out of time. Mm. And listeners, you do need to be careful because companies are aware of time limits. Mm -hmm. And I think this is something that we may have to come back to. Yeah, no, we are running out of time. We're going to go on a break. But I would like to add to that. I'm so thankful you said that, Dean, because not all employers are sneaky. Some may be prepared and some aren't prepared. But you need to remember that if you are going through the investigation um, procedure and disciplinary procedure, it is your procedure. So you have the right to speak up. You have the right to say, can it be extended? Obviously within reason and for reasonable grounds. But don't be afraid. Understand it's daunting to speak up and um, ask for assistance or ask for a um for it to be deterred for another day so we have touched on unfair dismissal for this first half please do join us back um, for the second half where we'll discuss more on the tribunal process and unfair dismissal on other grounds assalamu alaikum this is atif nawaz listen to inspire fm shows in your time by heading over to inspirefm.org or listen on apple podcasts or spotify Good evening, everyone, and welcome back to Inspire FM and the segment of the Ask Your Lawyer show. Um, My name is Esther Olasahinde of Liberty Law Solicitors. And with me, I have Dean Garrett of Liberty Law Solicitors. Thank you, Dean, for joining us again for the second part. Good evening, (laughs) listeners. Um, So before the break, um, let's stop there let me actually tell what the topic is if you're just tuning in um we are discussing unfair dismissal and the tribunal process um so this is an open um discussion so and this segment is for our listeners so if you have any questions or queries you can give us a call on 01582481822 or whatsapp message us on 0779481822 too, and we will try our best to assist you with the matter. So before the break, we had quite an extensive talk on unfair dismissal. Um, we talked about what it takes to have, um, what the elements are to, for dismissal to be unfair. Um, and we also discussed on the intra, um, the disciplinary and investigation process. Um, so moving forward... We're going to discuss a claim that is, I wouldn't say, would you say it's under the unfair dismissal umbrella or is it separate? This is constructive unfair dismissal. It falls under the same sort of umbrella, Mm -hmm. but the test is completely different. Mm -hmm. So um, would you like me to explain? Yes, please. (laughs) So constructive unfair dismissal is when you resign from -hmm. your employment. Mm -hmm. And unlike unfair dismissal, where we discussed whether the reason for your dismissal was fair or not, the burden is on the employer. Mm -hmm. Here, the burden is on you. And Mm. constructive unfair dismissal claims are notoriously one of the hardest claims Mm. to bring at the tribunal. Mm -hmm. I think a few years ago, they had a 3% chance of success. Three? Somewhere around that low figure. So before you move on, why do you think that is the case? Well, if I tell you the test, and you we can work around through some scenarios, and you can tell me, well, we can agree Mm -hmm. why. Um, (laughs) So here you're showing that there has been a fundamental breach of contract, Mm -hmm. that the the manner in which the employer has treated you has been so severe Mm. that it's gone to the heart of your contract and left you with no recourse but to end that agreement, Mm. to essentially go, okay, I accept your breaches of contract Mm -hmm. that you've done against me and you've left me with no recourse but to rip up the contract and walk away. Mm. I hereby have no other course but to resign. So to show an action of an employer acting in such a regard that goes to the heart of your contract Mm. is quite a difficult difficult thing to prove, Mm. especially if the burden's on you to demonstrate because all the evidence is on you to show. Mm. So I've given a really short overview there, but there is... Often people think there has to be one big act leading to it. Mm -hmm. But that's not strictly true either. 
we sometimes call that as the final straw act that mm. um the, the bit i'm going to talk about so mm. let's say for example i'm working and there's been a series of breaches so the way comments my employer makes are inappropriate mm. um the way i'm uh, bullied in front of others mm. or or there's a harassment or um i'm I'm placed with overburdened with work mm-hmm. and I'm singled out from the others. Mm. Um, I can say, you know, I was prepared to live with being overworked. Mm. I was prepared to live with, you know, at the time um, being shouted at in front of others. Mm. But it's when you add all those breaches, mm. it eventually leads to a final straw where you say, I've enough, had enough, enough and that's yeah. it. Mm-hmm. And often you will see that a uh, unfair dismissal claim will cite the reference implied terms of trust and confidence. Okay. Now, on a contract of employment, if you look for it, you won't see the implied terms of trust and confidence. Mm-hmm. It's built into the contract mm. that an employer will treat you with, with mutual respect yeah. and equally you re- treat the uh, employer um, with mutual respect. So mm-hmm. it's an employer-employee relationship. Mm-hmm. And often if we say that a conduct of employer was so bad, it, it has gone to the heart of the contract, the implied terms of trust and confidence, yeah. that you no longer can trust or have confidence in remaining employed. Mm-hmm. And that is the test. But again, it's quite a high threshold to prove. Mm-hmm. Okay. And with constructive unfair dismissal, can it just be one act? So maybe... So uh, before, as I was explaining, it can mm-hmm. be many acts that lead to what we call the final straw. Mm-hmm. Does there have to be a final straw? What if it's just one moment where you're saying this is completely unacceptable, I'm done, and you resign? Is that also acceptable? That Does is that also acceptable. Okay. Um, and how quickly... Providing you show that that act was mm. severe enough. Okay. Which is, again, why it's <laughs> difficult, difficult to bring. Okay. Um, I, I suppose to assist the listeners, what we're looking at here is um, the burden of proof in employment tribunals is a balance of probabilities. Mm. So you're having to convince the tribunal on a balance of probabilities, which is 51%. Mm, so more likely than not. not. Okay. Um, so how quickly does an employee or an individual have to act when they feel that they've reached the end? Well, the, the phrase is often... Uh, the phrase usually used by uh, solicitors is delay is a killer and what i mean by that is if you're aggrieved or you believe a breach constitutes you having to resign Mm -hmm. if you decide to wait and see it out Mm. and then resign a couple months down the road from Mm -hmm. that breach Mm -hmm. a tribunal is entitled to turn around and say well if the breach was so severe if the actions of your employer were so great you should have resigned there and then Mm. To delay um, and to carry on working for two, three months shows me that it's not so, so bad. Mm-hmm. Now, a tribunal will be aware that, for, uh, you know, the, the decision to resign is not an easy decision for any employee. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, giving up your livelihood and going into the unknown unemployment mm. is not an easy decision to make. Mm-hmm. So a tribunal will often look and want to see what actions did you take mm. um, p- prior to resigning. Okay. Did you set a market down? But either way, to leave it for too long mm-hmm. certainly will weaken your case. Okay. So maybe writing a grievance could also show proof? Like show proof, that you start tried. looking for other jobs mm-hmm. in preparation, okay. and then to cite back that the reason you are resigning is because of that, and you couldn't resign at the time because of the need, the requirement to stay employed. Mm-hmm. And what is the limitation period? I believe it's the same. Yep. So it's from three months minus one day from the date you have uh, resigned. So three months. Mm -hmm. We always say minus one day. It's built into me just out of a precautionary Mm -hmm. safety that we always ensure the claim is submitted within the three months time limit. Okay. And you have to have the qualifying period, I believe, is two years again yes and two years no leeway. so there are similarities in that respect mm-hmm. same time limit same length of surface is required for both unfair and constructive unfair dismissal but the test is is different mm-hmm. okay um moving on before the break on the first half we made a small reference to um wrongful dismissal we'll quickly touch on that just so we get all the dismissal headings um kind of out of the way so what is wrongful dismissal 
Wrongful dismissal has nothing to do with unfair dismissal. Mm -hmm. It's completely different. Um, Whereas unfair dismissal is a statutory right, so that's a right built into law under Mm -hmm. the Employment Rights Act, Mm -hmm. whether your dismissal falls within one of the five fair reasons Mm -hmm. and whether it can be supported. Um, Wrongful dismissal, on the other hand, is a contractual claim. Mm -hmm. So it's a claim to say that you've dismissed me and as a result of that dismissal you've breached your contract now a typical example of that would be notice Mm. so if you were to dismiss me without my notice pay Mm -hmm. i would have the claim for wrongful dismissal okay because i would be entitled to under my contract of employment for my notice pay Mm -hmm. so if it's four weeks notice pay i would be entitled to bring a claim for that so I, my only benefit here, remedies, mm. and I suppose this is how I can separate it for between the real difference between unfair and um, wrongful, mm. is that wrongful, I'm only entitled to be put into a position as if the contract had been complied with. Mm-hmm. So if it had been terminated and I'd been pro- provided my, let's say, four weeks notice, yeah. then I wouldn't have a claim for wrongful dismissal because the employer has done what it's entitled to do mm-hmm. under the contract. Whereas unfair dismissal, the remedy... For that, if, if you're successful in proving that you were unfairly dismissed, mm-hmm. you're entitled to the same basic award, which is a calculated uh, in much the same way as I've spoken about in wrongful dismissal. Yeah. But you're in, also entitled to a compensatory award, and that will be your past losses. Mm-hmm. So from the losses that you've, um, from the date you were dismissed mm-hmm. up to your tribunal hearing, mm-hmm. and includes future losses, so potential future losses going on. You're capped at 52 weeks in all, past okay. and future so you're entitled to 52 weeks maximum okay uh, but you are you should bear in mind that the moment you're dismissed you cannot just wait for the tribunal hearing mm-hmm. to find in your favor you remain under duty to mitigate okay. and this is important if you don't mitigate your losses by i.e finding another job or or demonstrating that you're you know you're not allowing the claim just to be built up Mm -hmm. you are concerned you you've made concerted efforts to find employment Mm -hmm. uh, or uh, job seekers Mm -hmm. allowance to try and mitigate against your losses Mm -hmm. Um, a tribunal is entitled to say well you're not entitled to the full compensatory sum because you should have you should have mitigated as Mm -hmm. much as possible yeah um, I suppose while we're on remedies, because we've touched upon ACAS Code of Practice, yes. where we spoke about fairness and the minimum standards that an employer should take. If an employer fails to follow ACAS Code of Procedure, mm-hmm. the ramifications can be quite big. Not only will a tribunal, it'll go towards the tribunal finding that the employer didn't find, uh, didn't follow a fair process, mm-hmm. which goes to the heart of the unfair, uh, you know, a decision being made that the the employee was unfairly dismissed. Mm-hmm. It has a financial penalty that an imp- tribunal is entitled to say, well, since you didn't follow ACAS code of practice, mm. um, we're going to um, we're going to add a um, enhance the compensation. Okay. And they can enhance it by up to 25% of the total sum. Mm-hmm. So, for example, if I was awarded £10,000 for my unfair dismissal claim mm-hmm. and the tribunal agreed that there should be an ACAS uplift, mm. we refer to it, um, I could see up to 25%, so £2,500 added on to mm. that claim if the tribunal believed that the breach of ACAS was so severe. Mm-hmm. So that is a further caution why companies should be wary mm. and ensure that a fair process is followed. Okay. So with wrongful dismissal, is it easy to, I mean, how is the success rate? Because if it, I mean, I'm mm-hmm. guessing it's not really based on evidence. It's just on facts. On facts. Whether they were paid or, or so, not. Yeah, it's on facts. On Was the, was the employee entitled to this benefit or mm-hmm. entitlement under the contract? Mm-hmm. And was the employer entitled to um, not pay that benefit mm-hmm. or entitlement to the employee? Okay. So, for example... If we go back to unfair dismissal, mm. if you were dismissed um, and following that dismissal, you were summary dismissed. What I mean by that is immediately dismissed. Mm. Uh, you haven't received your notice pay because yeah. the company says you committed an act of gross misconduct. Mm-hmm. A tribunal in this case, and you are under two years, your only remedy would be to bring a claim for wrongful dismissal because mm. you only need one year's employment. Okay. 
different so, yeah. than so it's, there's, there's no minimum two years requirement with mm-hmm. wrongful dismissal mm-hmm. so here a, a tribunal would be looking at whether the company was entitled to say that the employee's breach of contract was so severe yeah. so really yeah, the success rate is much more you know higher higher it really comes down to circumstances and the nature of the breach of the contract Mm -hmm. okay so moving on um we're going to now discuss the procedure in bringing a claim to the tribunal so before the break we discussed about um the stages for an investigation um, sorry, suspension, then an investigation, meeting, and then the disciplinary procedure. So let's now say, Dean, that that person had now been dismissed from their um, uh, their their job, their employment. Um, do they always have a right to appeal? They should always have a right to appeal. If they're more than two years? If they're more than two years, yes. Okay. Uh, if they're under two years, it's still good practice that they have a right to appeal. Mm-hmm. But essentially, there's nothing they can bring to a tribunal Mm. on the procedure of fairness Mm -hmm. Um, but without an appeal the process and there's been plenty of case law to Mm -hmm. say that being denied the right to appeal is procedurally unfair Mm -hmm. and on that basis you may just be successful on the claim even if you contribute towards your own dismissal Mm. and that's something that you know you should be wary of your right to for off appeal Mm -hmm. okay so let's say this individual has been given the right to appeal um what tips can we give them? What, how, how should they go about appealing the matter? So they really need to look at why the company came to its decision mm-hmm. and whether we agree with that decision mm. and have they actually looked at all the representations made by the employee? Mm. Um, have they considered all the evidence? And if not, why not? Mm-hmm. And essentially, th- there is no nothing to lose at an appeal stage. You have already been dismissed. Mm-hmm. So there's a bit more flexibility in what you can say mm-hmm. and put in your full account to the employer. Mm-hmm. And this will have later important ramifications mm-hmm. because a company will have to show that it looked at those representations made and in their decision to, for example, not to uphold... Um, to uphold its decision, sorry, to dismiss, Mm -hmm. that they did consider the representations. So, for example, the employee's work record, Mm. um, the level of severity of the allegations, Mm -hmm. whether the employee accepts or uh, or denies the allegations, Mm -hmm. did the employee, for example, apologise? Yeah, okay. All of these are material. Mm -hmm. Um, And certainly, a company employer will give you five days to, usually five days to respond. Mm. And there isn't a great amount of time if you don't appeal there are ramifications again and that should be explored you could take the view if you if earlier we said if uh, if an investigation is, has a perceived bias mm. and you've lost all faith trust and confidence in the company mm-hmm. uh, employer uh, you could say that well what's the point in appealing they're only going to find out the same outcome against me mm-hmm. and i can show the employer has has never started the investigation was biased the disciplinary was unfair Mm. um then you may have an argument here that there was no point to go to a a dismiss uh, appeal Mm -hmm. because of the conduct of the employer Mm -hmm. however a tribunal will want to see that you have explored every stage Mm -hmm. before you submit a claim so the failure to um the failure to appeal can mm-hmm. actually have a knock-on effect to your Claim. end compensation yeah. that you may get. And they may make a reduction against you mm-hmm. on the basis that you failed to appeal. Um, so it's a risky strategy mm. not to appeal. Yeah. Because uh, the employer will often raise at a tribunal that the employee actually denied me an opportunity to mm. look at their grievances, their, why they believed my dismissal was unfair. Mm. And had they appealed, we wouldn't have come to the same outcome. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'd like to make an, um, a point on an appeal because a lot of the time you have um, a client or someone say, oh, I would like you, the solicitors, to draft the appeal and put it on company letterhead. Um, I mean, I can see how you may think that that is a good idea because it might, I don't know, shake the employers up or make them realise that, you know, you're being serious or you're you're planning to um, take serious action. Um, that is not 
plausible for us or a solicitor's firm to do so because it's an internal process if i'm correct it's your grievance and the appeal process is between the employer and the employee so it would not i mean the employer literally has the the right to ignore your appeal is that correct that is correct um and and so that's why an appeal should always be drafted from the employee Mm -hmm. for safety Mm -hmm. often an employee will say well but the, the company won't listen unless you put on let's say, a solicitor's letterhead. Yeah. But that would come later because what you don't want is the uh, company employer to turn around and say, we don't know who, who Liberty Law for solicitors are, for mm-hmm. example, or who these solicitors are. Yeah. Uh, we have no contract with you. We cannot comment and we do not accept your correspondence. Mm-hmm. And therefore your appeal is not heard. Mm-hmm. That would be a worst outcome. And there are, which I'm sure we'll come on to in a moment, other letters that a solicitor can send that mm. could be beneficial. Exactly. So... With what you've just said, um, I believe the next process or the, what the next stage we think is helpful is without prejudice conversations. Could you explain to us what a without prejudice letter or conversation is? Yeah, without prejudice simply means it's privileged communications. Mm-hmm. So the conversation I'm going to have with you in, through this letter can only be seen for your eyes only and for my eyes. Mm-hmm. Now, the purpose of, of these key words without prejudice is that you can have an open and frank conversation. Mm. So if when a client has come to us um, and it's a claim for unfair dismissal, we can write a, a letter where we can be frank, honest and put claimants, uh, the, the, the client's Um, the employee's full claims to the company, Mm -hmm. to the employer, and essentially say, we're going to bring a claim unless you choose to settle the matter. And that allows the employer to listen to to the claims that we've pleaded out in front of them Mm -hmm. and to respond with a settlement proposal because it remains all confidential. And it cannot be relied by either party later on if the negotiations break down Mm. in court. Mm Okay, and there are exceptions to that rule, but we won't go too much into it. Okay, um, when starting without prejudice um, conversation, like Dean said, it will be on um, company letterhead. I mean, it can can it come from an employee without having? Yes, um, an employee, and often when um, a, a, you know dismissal happens, an employer may actually realise that they've done wrong, mm. and they may approach the employee and say, "Can we have a without prejudice conversation?" Mm-hmm. And that simply means we're, we're going to have a conversation off the record, mm-hmm. and it usually translates into we're we're looking to give you some form of compensation for mm-hmm. your dismissal or termination if you enter into a settlement agreement. Mm-hmm. And that's quite often you'll hear these words quite often without prejudice. Mm-hmm. It just simply means off the record. Okay. Um, and how? I mean, what would you advise? Uh, the amount of times that you can go back and forth because for instance say an individual sends a without prejudice letter through a solicitor's firm they get a response which is no or do that how many i mean how well essentially if the employer shows no interest then you're essentially just wasting resources mm. in sending letters that may not even get a, a follow-up or a response. Mm-hmm. If you are looking, at, if it's unsuccessful at that point, there's, there's nothing to prevent a without prejudice conversation coming at a later point. Mm-hmm. And really, you've got to be mindful of your time limits. Yes. So lux- time isn't, isn't your luxury when you're bringing the claim for uh, you know, an employment claim. You are under this tight, strict time limit of three months. Mm. So depending on where you sit on that three months, you may wish to proceed with the next step. Mm-hmm. And an employer may actually take you serious at the next step. Mm-hmm. Which is ACAS. <laughs> ACAS, yes. Um, I'll get a, I think we're running out of time soon, so I'll get a bit of a quick move on, on yeah, with no, take what the ACAS time. is. We'll, we'll ACAS early conciliation is a mandatory step that all employees must take before they can bring a claim to the employment tribunal. Mm-hmm. Um, a conciliation is essentially an appoint, uh, ACAS will appoint a conciliator mm-hmm. who is to act as a mediator, a go between both sides, mm-hmm. both parties, and they will look to see whether they, um, an amicable arrangement or settlement can be reached. Mm-hmm. Uh, the time span of what ACAS uh, can last up to is a month. Usually a month. Mm-hmm. It can last a day, depending on whether, let's say, for example, you start ACAS, but the employer doesn't wish to engage. Mm. Then there's no point continuing and ACAS will conclude and mm. you will receive a certificate. But it usually lasts up to the maximum of a month, mm-hmm. but it can actually be extended by further two weeks 
if it's felt that both parties could reach a settlement. Yeah. But that is the absolute maximum, a month and two weeks. Mm-hmm. What's important to note during ACAS is you keep speaking about um, time ticking yeah. down. Mm-hmm. When ACAS happens, you t- the time limit is essentially put on pause. Mm. And the time spent during ACAS, let's say a month and two weeks, can actually be added on to your time limit. Yeah. Let's say, for example, it only lasts for one day. Then you're at, uh, the, at, at the absolute minimum, you're entitled to one month after you receive your certificate saying that ACAS is completed mm-hmm. and no settlement could be reached, um, one additional month, mm. which is an important, you know, to buy new time in order to prepare and pr- get ready for your claim for a tribunal. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I'd like to boisterous that point because, you know, a lot of times we have uh, people that come to us that are really close to their deadline. They say, oh, I've got, they tell us the day they were dismissed or the last day of discrimination or whatever the matter is. And then we quickly, you know, grab our calculator and then we realise that the claim is due next week. And obviously that's a lot of work to do prior. So if you are looking to do this on your own, please do remember that, you know, with what Dean said, ACAS does essentially pause your time limit and then you'll have a month for conciliation and then then at least and then a month on top of that to bring a claim to the tribunal so it's whatever is it's the minimum is a month Mm -hmm. but whatever the if it's extended by two weeks Mm -hmm. is that time span put Mm -hmm. onto your time limit but certainly working out time limits is a very complicated matter and Mm. you know if you need assistance please don't hesitate to give us a call Mm, exactly i think that would be my main um I would say piece of advice if you have an employment issue please do not I mean if you think you can then go ahead we'll never tell someone to not take a claim to the tribunal but if you are taking a claim and you feel overwhelmed because the tribunal process is long it is costly it's time consuming and it can be quite emotionally draining for both parties so I would advise you to at least get some advice before taking a matter to the tribunal to actually see the merits of your claim and to see if there's any other way um, of settling the matter out of um, court I'm sorry, not court, tribunal. Um, So we have actually come towards the end of our programme. Unfortunately, we didn't get to go on to talk about the tribunal process. But if you do have any questions, you can leave it on the Facebook page and we will try our best to um, answer your questions. So that's all we have for today. Thank you so much for joining us. And please join us next week on the next segment of Ask Your Lawyer. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Why not tune in to our live stream at inspirefm.org and follow and subscribe to our social media platforms at InspireFM Luton.